0: The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Atatū. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz Father God, unless we remain in you and you remain in us, we will continue to be fruitless. But if we abide in you, we will bear much fruit. Father God, we do grieve over the state of our world. And our world is so far short of what you would have it be. But as Jesus said, we are the light of the world and we are the salt of the earth. So Father God, my prayer today is that you would speak to your church around us. That you would wake us up. That you would realize that how loved we are, but that in that privilege of being loved by you, so is every other human being on this planet. And you have sent us to be salt and light. In this world. Father God, draw us back to you, draw us closer to you. May your life be lived through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Last Sunday we picked up the story of Isaac as he returned to live in the land of the Philistines and the then king Abimelech. This morning I want to pick up just the last few verses of last week's reading. And So we're told Abimelech gave orders to all the people that anyone who harms Isaac or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land and in the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man Isaac became rich, And his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines started filling up, filling them up with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled when he settled and Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in that time on the time of his father Abraham which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham had died and he gave them the same names his father gave them and Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there but the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, This water is ours. So he named the well Esek, which means dispute, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also, and he named it Sitna, which means opposition. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it, so he named it Rehoboth, meaning room. Because he said, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in this land. So he went up from there to Beersheba. And that night the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And Isaac built an altar there called on the name of the Lord, and there he pitched his tents, and there his servants dug a well. My preparation for this morning included doing a little bit of research on the, uh, the climate, the geography, and the geology of this land of promise. In time to come, we're told that this land of promise will be a land flowing with milk and honey. But if you know a little of the history of the land, you know there are times when that has been true and there have been times when it's been quite desolate, particularly here in the southern regions. It's an area that can flourish. But if this land in the south where Isaac is, if this desert, if it is to flourish, it requires significant effort from the people who live in the land. Up in the north of the uh, this promised land, the climate is primarily Mediterranean. Think lush, green, plenty of rainfall. But here in the south, this, where the story is playing out, the climate is more North African. Think desert. In fact, this land is home to four deserts, one of which is the Negev, which is where Isaac and Rebekah are. However, the, the landscape, the, the land of promise, is limestone. And the rain that does fall in the north flows through a series of waterways and aquifers right throughout the land. And so under, under the land, which we would now call Israel and surrounding areas, Is this network and i I picture this throughout the limestone this network of waterways and labyrinths that are interconnected of sorry and aquifers that are interconnected throughout the land and so when the rain falls in the north it soaks through the limestone and fills these waterways and aquifers right throughout the land of promise as a result Throughout the land there will be areas where there are springs where this water comes to the surface. And my research says that the amount of water that flows through these natural springs is greater than the amount of water that flows through the Jordan River. And as we've read, the other way of tapping into this vast supply of underground water is through the digging of wells. When I was a kid, I grew up in Gisborne, I remember my dad putting down a bore in Gisborne, just behind our garage. He had a known aquifer in the area and he put a bore down and he put a pump in. In Gisborne, throughout the summer, we were frequently faced with water shortages. And so it was often the case that there was a complete ban on hoses and sprinklers. And so it was really nice to be able to flick the pump on and have water, fresh water, on the lawn. Always nicer to play on a lush green lawn than on dead, dry summer grass. It was nice to have. But in the land of promise, especially in the southern regions, the ability to access this water under the ground wasn't just nice to have. It was essential. And so it involved, for a start, uh, accessing and diverting some of these springs to irrigate the land. And sometimes it involved digging wells. And So a well wasn't just a convenient thing, in fact it was probably quite an inconvenient thing. I was reading a book, Dalton who works on the community garden next door gave me a book on, uh, called A Son of the Red Centre and it's about a guy who uh, created the big road trains that they have in Australia but he also talked about digging wells in uh, the 1940s and 50s and 60s in the outback of Australia. The work of digging a well is huge but it is essential to life in those places to dig a well. A well allowed someone to live, to make use of the land in the region around the well, which otherwise was just desert. It allowed you to produce crops and allowed you to provide water for your animals and for yourselves. Digging the well made the land useful, effectively giving the possession of the land to the person who dug the well. If you dug the well, which you then used to water the land, then the land that you watered, you had possession of. Not just for then, but for generations. Hence, the drive by some to fill in your wells. And so when Isaac returned to the region where Abraham had previously lived, Isaac was able to settle by the wells that Abraham's servants had dug. And obviously it's a lot easier to dig an old well than it is to dig a new one. And when God blessed Isaac, when his crops produced a hundredfold and the flocks and herds and servants multiplied, he became rich and the Philistines envied him. It's easy to envy those whom God blesses. Already Abimelech had given orders to the people not to lay a hand on Isaac and Rebekah. So if you're jealous of your neighbour and you know that by attacking your neighbour your king is going to come and put you to death, that's not an option. So if you can't attack the man, take away that which sustains him. If you can't attack the man, take away that which sustains him. As children of God, while we may walk and live under his protection, make no mistake, we have an enemy who will seek to take away that which God wants to use to sustain you. I come back to John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The thief, our enemy, has a plan that if he can't attack you, he will seek to take away that which sustains you. had a friend many years ago who used to put it this way, if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. So true. But don't let him. Isaac and Rebekah are unharmed, and they but they can no longer stay. They can no longer sustain their lives, their crops, their flocks and herds and their households. And Abimelech asks them to move on. So they moved away, encamped in the valley of Gerar, where Isaac uh, reopened the wells that had been dug by his father's servants, which the which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham's death, and he gave them the names that his father gave them. Then Isaac's servants dug more wells and discovered fresh water. But the others said, this is ours. And so Isaac's servants and Isaac moved on, and he dug another well and they quarreled over that. And so Isaac and his household again are forced to move on once more, opening up old wells and redigging new ones. And then he opened up one called Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in this land. And here they settled just south of Beersheba, at the northern edge of the Negev Desert. And here they could be established once more. They could take possession of the land, they could water it, they could nourish it, and they could live and prosper there. And I find myself asking some questions. So where am I living? And where am I drawing my life from? And who keeps filling in my wells? And what am I going to do about it? I find my thoughts going to another well dug by Isaac's son, Jacob. In a region that will become known as Samaria, it's a well by which Jesus is sitting down as the sun is overhead and the disciples have gone in to Sychar to get food. No one else would really come in the heat of the day to the well for water. But one woman does. And she comes at a time when it's less likely to meet others because most of the people from the village don't really like her. She doesn't want to meet others. She's not very well liked. And as Jesus talks to her, it becomes... He brings it to the fore that she's had five husbands, and the man you have is not your husband. Which obviously means that they've all been someone else's husbands as well along the way, which wouldn't make you popular in town. Moments earlier, Jesus had offered her a drink of living water, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This woman was spiritually informed. Spiritually aware. She says, I can see that you are a prophet. She's having this conversation with this guy by the well and she can go, I see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. She may be a sinner, but she's spiritually aware. And in verse 25 she says, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes he will explain everything to us. So she is spiritually informed and aware but desperately thirsty. While she was the one standing by Jacob's well with a bucket, she was also the one desperately in need of this life-giving water that Jesus offered. Life and her life choices, those choices which were probably made in search of something to satisfy her, to satisfy something deep within her, those choices had not satisfied, in fact they had left her empty and thirsty. Many of you will know that in the end of 2010 Margaret and I moved to Melbourne where Margaret took up a position at Crossway Baptist Church running the children and families ministry. Quite a massive job for her. Leading up to that time and following that time, I was looking for work. I had resigned by the time she was actually invited to go to Australia, so it was quite a drawn-out process. On one occasion, before we moved, I applied for well, I applied for quite a few jobs in Australia ahead of time, and it's really hard to apply for a job in another country. But only one job they uh, invited me over, and they paid my airfare. To fly to Melbourne. The interview went well and I returned to New Zealand only to get a phone call offering me the position and I said can I have the night to pray about it. About three or four the next morning I woke up and I was lying awake thinking and the question that came to me were the words that Jesus had spoken here to the woman and the question was will this become for you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Would I wake each day with the same sense that I am where God would have me be, and in my heart there was a resounding no. Up until that moment, I thought the role would be great. It was fun, it was interesting, it was different, and it paid well, and the entire staff were Christian, seriously Christian, committed followers of Jesus. But I didn't sense it was where God was calling me at that season. And I didn't sense that it would be life-giving. So later that day, I contacted the company, declined the offer, and offered to repay my airfare. And they declined to accept my reimbursement. They, too, had enjoyed the opportunity to meet and to talk, And they were more than happy to accept the fact that I'd prayed and felt God's hand was not on that move. Now, I'm not suggesting that every job you're going to have has got to be life-giving. I've had quite a few that were, in a sense, filling in time. And the life-giving was in other places. But I believe that God placed that question on my heart because he knew that then and there, and for that season and for this season, he had something else Plan for me, that would be life-giving, that would restore life and would sustain life. Like Isaac, there are times when we stay put for a season and then there's times when we must move on. Sometimes that means moving from a physical place, a home or a job, However, it often simply means moving on in God. Moving to a new place in God. And I believe God calls all of us to a new place in Him. And sometimes that involves redigging old wells. And sometimes it means digging new wells. I love that when Isaac. Redug the wells that his father's servants had dug. He gave them the name that his father Abraham had given them. You know, when you name something, you take ownership of it. When Adam was lined up with all the animals and he named them, it gave them authority over the animals. When Isaac renamed these wells what his father Abraham had named them, he retook authority over those places. And again I think about the call that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks that keeps coming up from Revelation where God says you have forsaken your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You know we go through life and sometimes some of our wells some of those things that have sustained our spiritual walk The enemy finds a way to fill them in. And so sometimes it's a tight place and time to re-dig them. And maybe there are wells that have been untapped for many generations. And maybe there are new wells to be dug. Things and practices that will allow us once again to tap into the life-giving water that flows in and under and through the land of promise. This really grabbed me. Remember that picture of under the land of promise? This network of waterways and aquifers that are one, fully interconnected and linked. You know, if you have to move on and dig your well in a different place, you are tapping into the same source of life-giving water. Each well that Isaac dug, or that his servants dug, that his father had dug, all of them go down into the same source of water and when you dig a well for the nourishment from the water of life wherever you dig it you're digging it under the leading of the spirit you'll dig down into the same life-giving water last week i spoke of some of the wells from the early days of this church where brian hathaway used to teach about the kingdom of god and words living by the truth of god signs living in the power of god deeds living in the love of god and I believe that science is one of those ones that one of those wells that gets filled in very easily. And God wants us to dig it open again. In the early church, in Acts 2, 42 to 47, we're told that the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the God added and God added to their number daily those who were being saved. So many wells were being dug. Now there is one there where they sold everything they had and I've listed it up there as living generously because later on as we follow the story through the Apostle Paul spends a lot of time going around the churches taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem and I've read a number of commentators who say the reason they needed an offering for the church in Jerusalem is that so many in the church at Jerusalem lived so generously that they gave away their ability to support themselves long term and their families because they thought Jesus was coming back tomorrow. They hadn't realised that there was still a need to think long term. But there was still a need for us to live generously. And so, those are some of the wells that we can tap into. Some of the old wells that maybe we need to learn to redig. And then I think of the spiritual disciplines that are listed on our website silence and solitude. Bible reading, prayer, fasting, personal reflection, confession, Sabbath, simplicity, service, soul friendship, sacrifice, and worship. Take some time, have a look at the website. Do a Google search and you'll find out a lot more information elsewhere about those things. But they are wells that we can dig that can sustain life. So many times over the last... 14 years God's called me and there seasons and long seasons of fasting often one day a week Uh, for a couple of years it was three days at the beginning of every month, there's been a couple of times when it's a 40 day fast during daylight hours hadn't fasted for a couple of months and then just two weeks ago God stirred me again to return to fasting each Friday that's one of those wells God said it's time to redig And the other was really weird, because I have a very eclectic musical taste. And in my car, I don't have Bluetooth. I have an auxiliary port, and I have a little Bluetooth receiver that feeds my music from my phone to my car stereo. And so through that, I would play my worship on my phone, particularly when I'm doing a bit of a drive around. And then my unit packed up a few months ago, and... Only got a new one a couple of months ago. So I'd got into the habit of just listening to Magic FM, which is all the old music from the 50s, 60s and 70s, which is also very much part of my passion. So I loved listening to that. I was going out to visit Minnaker on Friday and i just started to get out and I thought, you know, I've got so much into the habit of listening to the radio. Put the worship back on. And it just does something different. In fact, when I listened to some of the songs that I grew up on, not from the 50s, but the 60s and 70s, I realise where some of the bad thoughts and bad patterns and bad thinking comes from. It's from the music you listen to. And some of it I listen to, it's like absolutely horrendous. And then some of them actually, it's like, okay, one about going up to the spirit in the sky. If you know that song, look it up, listen to the words, read the words, that's a powerful testimony because Jesus is going to meet me there. And I would never have known that back in the day, that that song was about that. But driving out there and listening to worship, again, began to lift my spirits. And it was just so different. That has been a well for me, just listening to worship music. It refreshes my soul. We all need to practice all the different things, but there are some that you'll find really connect for you. So the question becomes for you is what wells do you need to dig and what wells do you need to clean out? Anything that enables you to draw closer to God, anything that aligns you with his character, will and purposes for you, dig a well, clear out an old one or maybe seek to dig a new one. Are you living in the fullness of the life that Jesus died to give you? Are you living in all of the promises of God that are ours? See, I've said before, that's why I refer to the land of promise, not the promised land. Because Abraham was sent into the land of promise, and Isaac went into the land of promise, and Moses took the people back to the land of promise. We are not necessarily going to go to the promised land in that sense. But we are living in the land that God has promised. We are living in a place that God has promised us. We are living in the promises that God has given us. And if we're not tapping into that, what's stopping you? What wells do you need to dig for that life-giving water this week? God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the Chapel in Atatū. For more information about the Chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at